Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. We're going to really survey the whole chapter, but the two verses most prominent, and the ones perhaps you're most familiar with, and that's 14 and 15, so we'll just read those two. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 198. Joshua... 24 verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, capital R, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river... Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last time we talked about you become what you worship. And we said you resemble what you revere, you are what you adore. In other words, it's important that we serve only God. Have no other gods because we end up becoming like them, it says in scripture. Um, Worshiping God and Him alone is about as basic to Scripture as you can get. The first commandment is, right, you shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't get any more basic than Worship 101. That's the ABCs of commandments in Scripture. In fact, um, idol, the word idol, idols or idolatry or little g gods is used 450 plus times in the Bible. Which means it's a very prominent theme. And tonight I want to start off with a a truth that you just need to settle in on. Is that there is no possibility of worshiping nothing. That's probably a double negative, so I probably shouldn't say it that way. But nevertheless, everyone in this room, everyone, everyone in this world is a worshiper. We are created to do that. And the question is not whether you worship, it's who you worship. And you either worship God or a God substitute. That's the word I like to use for idols. A God substitute. Something or someone that is equal to or more than God taking his place, basically, in your life. Now, in ancient Near East, that's the Bible times, foreign gods took all kinds of forms and shapes and sizes. They were mostly statues. They could be big. They could be little. They could be... um, Static, they could be dynamic, meaning they're mobile, you could take them where you go. And uh, we don't have that problem, by and large, in, can I say, sophisticated, civilized Western culture. Now, there's still, obviously, uh, people who worship statues and gods represented by those idols in other parts of the world, but that's usually not what takes place in America. And if I said, well, what is an American idol? Most of you would probably say a TV show. And, uh, and if I said, who are, what were the top ten idols, you might start listing off names, right? But I don't want you to do that. I want you to say, what do you think are the ten idols that are most prominent that people would be worshiping, Christian or non-Christian, in the American culture today? One through ten. doesn't matter whether it's one or ten. There's no right or wrong, per se. Kathy. Money. I have that one on here, too. Good. Let me see. If, yep. Money, and, and try to be categorical, not, you can be specific too, but we're not going to take repeated ones in the same category, so don't be offended if I say no to that. Materialism, money, things you buy, a car, house, um, on and on. Clothes, okay, money, materialism. Mike? 
fame, okay? Fame, popularity, some acceptance, maybe, or maybe fame doesn't fit that one, maybe. Yes, go ahead. Say it again. Okay, uh, yeah, body, beauty or image? Body, image, beauty, how you look. Wow, huge, billion dollars going into that plus every year. Yes. Sports. Yes, I have that on here somewhere. Yep. Sports. What else would go along with that maybe in the same category? Entertainment. Um, movies, TV, videos, internet, on and on. Okay. What else? What's another top ten? Yes. Technology. Yes. Your, your phone and your tablet and your computer and Alexa. Right? What else? Yes? Relationships. Yes, you are just checking them off here, aren't you? All right? What else? Say it. Job. That was my first one. Yeah, job, career, advancement, position, and i.e. an addition, power, control. Yes? Power. I took it, see? Osmosis or something. Okay, power, control. What else? Yes. Yes. Wow, you guys have just looked at my notes. Education, degrees, PhD, EDD, blah blah blah. Right. That, was there someone up here? Okay. Yes, Bob. Food. That was right up there too. I'm telling you right now. I even wrote down places to eat. All right. Yes. Safety, that is well-spoken. Safety, I did not have that one, but that is on my mind a lot. Yes, that's going to be on your science school lesson this week. That's right. Anyone else? Sport, we had that one. Yep, you're right, though. Sexuality, right? Has to be one of the top ones, I would think. Right? So we have all of these, right? Now, listen, America has a history of all of these things that are so prominent, these idols. See, look at chapter 24 and the first 13 verses before the two I read. It it looks like, wow, that's a bunch of historical stuff, and I know most people aren't too interested in it. But let me tell you, starting in verse 2, let me read it. And Joshua said to all the people, this is the last sermon he gives to them corporately before he dies, and they're going to have to finish the conquest, the rest of it, without him. So he's going to tell him in his mind the most important thing that God's put on his heart. And imagine this. The last thing he wants to tell him is, you got to fight idolatry. Now listen, he's going to tell them, hey, there's a lot of Amorites, Perizzites, Hittites, and all the ites, the mosquito bites. They're all in there. And you're going to have to fight them, right? But here's what he's going to say in my mind. As I read this text, don't be confused. Don't think that the physical problems and fights you face are the main ones. Because there's something more sinister and, um, and, and awful behind them. You know what it is? Idolatry. Idolatry. Behind all of these foes and enemies that we face, there's something worse than that. And that is their gods. So he's going to tell you, hey, we ha- you have a history, Israel, of idolatry. Now, I'm going to show you what he says. Verse 3, he says... Uh, 
I'm sorry, verse 2. The Lord says, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Now, the rest of the time, it's the river, capital R. But this Euphrates here, he tells you the name of it. It's the two big, the Tigris and Euphrates split off. The Garden of Eden was between those two. There used to be a third and a fourth, but seemingly over time, they died out. And those two rivers are the only ones. In fact, the Tigris and Euphrates remain to this day and play a prominent role in the book of Revelation. And so here he says, Abraham used to be in this area. And before his father, Terah, he was there. And see, before I called Abraham out from his father's house, you know what they were? Look what it says. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, they served other gods. Here's what he says. Your history, get this, is all about idolatry. Before I called Abraham, he was an idolater. He didn't serve the true God. He served all these false gods. But I had mercy on him. In my election, I called him out from everybody else and made him my child. And I started the nation of Israel. And you started because I pulled you and delivered you out of idolatry. He's not done yet. He says, then there were Isaac and Jacob. He goes on and Esau and blah, blah, blah. And then he says, in verse 5, And then I sent Moses and Aaron because you were in Egypt for 400 years. And when you were in Egypt, guess what? You were plagued by, surrounded by, completely encircled by, and encompassed by all kinds of Egyptian gods. In fact, when I delivered you in the Exodus, the ten plagues, each plague was against an Egyptian god. And everywhere you go, I wanted you to know that I am really God and their gods are nothing. And every time I defeat one of them and show you how weak and impotent and nothing they are, you're going to know this truth. I'm God. So the second epic of time was Moses in the, in the Exodus. And then he says, I brought you out of Egypt, verse 6, and I brought you out. You couldn't defeat them at the Red Sea because you couldn't have done it, but I could. You know why? Because their gods are nothing, and I'm everything. Okay? So he comes down, and then he says, then, verse 8, give, let me tell you the third epic. See, those are all past battles you had in the past with idolatry. It's your history. But he says, then I brought you to the land of Canaan. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of Jordan. They fought with you. And he goes through all that Balak stuff and all that. And then he goes down in verse 11. He says, I came to Jericho. The leaders of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and all of those other ones. And I gave them, and he goes, I sent the hornet. And he tells about all the way how I gave you houses you didn't build. I gave you vineyards you didn't make. And, and I gave you all this stuff. But here's what he wants you to think. See? Get this in your mind. Your whole history, Israel, is about how I brought you out of idolatry and into worshiping the true God. And every ounce, every inch of the way, you have had to fight against idolatry and all the pagan nations around you. And then he says, watch this in verse 14, our verse. Ready? Now, therefore. You know what he's going to say to them? And you're still going to fight it. You know what? Joshua's going off the scene. He says, I know in your past you fought the, when we fought, you know, you got these gods and you got rid of them and God called Abraham. You got rid of the gods in Egypt and you overcame them and I overcame them at the Red Sea. And now I brought you into the kids. And so far we've defeated all these people. You know why? And you know the reason why you've been victorious? Listen, it's because you have worshipped me only. That is the key to victory, he says. Now listen, Israel isn't the only one with a history of idolatry. We could take the time tonight and we're not. But we could go around here and you could tell your story about how you got saved. And some of them would be more dramatic and, and really amazing than others. I mean, they're all amazing because God saved us. But we could say, and some people would say, Pastor Walker, hey, before I 
got saved, I was addicted, and you could say drugs was my God, or alcohol was my, and I was into pornography, and, or I was this, and my marriage was a wreck, and my kid, and you could tell the story about how God saved you, and delivered you, and gave you an exodus, and brought you out of idolatry. And we could all tell stories to varying degrees of how relationships and things that happened and the money that ruled you and you thought everything in the world would give you this and it never did and you were bondage and the freedom was something you desired but never could attain, just like people who become the idols that they worship. I say all that, listen, to say this. First point, here's three weapons I'm going to give you tonight in your fight against idolatry. Number one is this, you got to get it down. Fighting idolatry is a continual problem. It is a continual problem. And by that I mean this. They came out of idolatry, they fought it in Egypt, and now they've come to Canaan conquest, and guess what? They are still fighting it. It's never over. In fact, look at the tenses in verse 14 again. Fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, put away the gods your father served. Why would they still be putting them away? Why would they have to? That was a long time ago. That was all the way back to Abraham. And what about the gods in Egypt? Why would they have to put those gods away? You know why? Because it's still a snare. And it's possible to still go back to those gods. Later on in Israel's history, do you know what happens? Jeroboam is king and he does this. He sets up a golden calf in the north and a golden calf in the south. And says, Israel, same words exactly. Almost like he quoted it on purpose. Maybe he did. He goes, these are your gods which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Worship them. That's exactly what happened in Exodus 32. Now, hundreds of years have passed, but guess what? That God was still, still a real problem. A real problem. Can I tell you this? That is what you need to know about idolatry. Our fight with it is never, ever over. We are always fighting it. It is part of our continual struggle in our Christian life. And the verbs mean to keep putting it away. Your father's put it away. You need to put it away in your life. Past gods, yes. Now he says in verse 15, also the God of the Amorites, what does it say? In the land you now dwell. So guess what? Same song, second verse. Really third verse, if you want to be honest. Now you're going to have to fight a new set of gods. And here's what he's saying. Wherever you have been and wherever you go, you will always be fighting against false gods and idolatry in your life. Here's what that means for us. Every moment of every day, today and every day, you are always worshiping something. Do you understand that? That means the temptation to fall prey to idolatry happens and can happen every time I turn on the TV. Because every time I turn on the TV... I will choose to worship someone every time. Every time I use the internet, they could, it could be a problem of idolatry. Every time I go to work, and every time I get a promotion, and every time I move up the ladder, and every time I go to school, and I want to be accepted by my friends, and I want to be everyone in my family to like me, and I'm the only Christian. See, all of those relationships, and all of those opportunities, and all those environments, all of those are factors about what, who, or what we shall worship. Every time I go to the mall, it's an opportunity to worship a false god. Every time something goes right, not just wrong, right in my life, it could be that I will become worshiper of it. See, there is not, can I clear it up for you? 
There is not a warfare part of life and a non-warfare part of life. There is not a worship part of life and a non-worship. I do not only worship Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. 24-7, 365, I am a worshiper. And because of that, I am always at war. Always. Always at war. In the scripture that we just read, the Bible says Joshua identifies for them what their idols were. And he does it by geographical location. Remember the gods that were beyond the river? Remember the gods that were in Egypt? Remember the gods that now in Canaan, the land you dwell? See, everywhere he goes, he identified what those gods were and how they had to fight against them. Have you ever done that in your life? Maybe part of the formula you need to add to your fight against idolatry, as you realize that you fight it all the time, say, hey, am I ready tomorrow morning when I get up and go to my job? Have I identified what the problems with idolatry might be there for me? About when my boss says something, and I know it's an ethical compromise, but if I'm going to get ahead and my boss is going to like me, see, I better start doing some of those things. And by the way, it's not that big a deal, is it? See, am I ready for that situation? When I go on a business trip and all the guys want to say, hey, we're all going to, and you name the place. But there's no way you should be going there. But you're tempted, and maybe sometimes you're thinking, I should do that. If I want to get in good with everybody, I better take that drink. I better go to that place. See, that's a temptation. You go to school, and you're with your friends. You're on the ball team. You're in your own home. And nobody's home, and you're by yourself. Your wife's at the ladies' meeting. Your kids are at the youth activity. You're by yourself, and there since the computer. Are you ready? Because the idol is. The idol's ready. See, you got to have a battle plan to know the idols of where you are and how they will affect your life if you give in to them. We have to have a battle plan about where our, our idols are, not only what they are. There's always someone or something that is vying for your allegiance and the dedication of your heart other than Jesus. And you have to know that it's a continual problem. There is no time off. There's no vacations from that temptation. It is constant in our lives. And if we don't know that and we don't teach our children to know that, they will not be prepared. So, Here's what Joshua says. You know what the first weapon in fighting idolatry is? He goes, you better realize fighting idolatry is a constant problem. You know what the second one is? You won't think of it normally. Fighting idolatry is a community project. Notice the pronouns in the text. There are six we's, three hours, O-U-R, and us, three times. And here's what he says. You want to fight idolatry? You will not be able to successfully do it on your own. Never can you defeat it on a faithful, consistent basis by yourself. Here's what he says. We need each other. So the fight against idolatry, listen to me, it's not a me battle as much as it is a we battle. A we battle. We need to fight idolatry. And it happens, the group thing and the we thing, the community thing, happens on two levels. Can I show it to you? In the text... Large groups. We need to meet together in large groups because, remember what I said? This is Joshua. He's gathered everybody together in Israel. He's going to preach his last thing to them. And he uses this little phrase, and this is this dialogue. He's going to say, you can't worship any other god. You better worship the true god. And then this phrase happens, back and forth, back and forth. Ready? The phrase is, the people. 
It's used in verse 16. Circle it in your Bible. 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 22, 24, 25, 27. Why? Nine times. You know why? Because he wants them to decide as a group together, this is our mentality. This is our identity. You know who we are? We are the one true God worshipers. That's who you are. And that's what he wants them to know. So he says the people, he says this, the people, he makes them answer him back together, collectively. He does. In fact, this is so important at the end of this whole thing, the end of the chapter. He says, we're going to take this big stone and we're going to write all the words the people say. You said on this day that you would worship God only and you are witnesses against yourselves. Read the rest of your chapter. You know what he wants them to do? I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to stick it in the middle of the foyer. And every time you walk in the church, I'm going to tell you, remember everybody that was there? You said this. You said no other gods. And you know what they say all the time? Oh, yeah, we'll worship God. He brought us out of Egypt. He says, well, you can't worship him and worship other gods because he's a jealous God. We'll worship God. I mean, back and forth. You know why? Because he wants them all to say it together. He wants them to collectively be accountable to each other. So when they walk into church, here's what he wants them to say. Hey, remember that? What are you doing? You can't do that. You know why? Remember what we said? We said that it was only this God. So when you see someone else and they're not worshiping the one God, you can say, hey, come here. Look at the stone. Remember what he said? Remember what we said? We told him in the presence of God he'd be the only one. You know why it's important? Listen, that's why you need to come to church. Can I say this? It's easy for me. I'm the pastor. You, need, you know why we need to come to all the services? Listen, so that you can be pious and spiritual because that makes you a better Christian than the people who don't. Not true. Not true. You know why you need to come? Because you're making a statement to God and you're communicating this. God, I need you and I need everybody else. Before church, I need to talk to people. After church, I need to talk to people. I need to hear about, oh yeah, so-and-so. Sandy stood up and said tonight, oh, I didn't get the gospel, but I said, you need Jesus as your Savior. That's all I could think of. You know what that does for me? I'm saying like, hey, that's better than saying nothing, right? That's great stuff. I love that. Why? Because it's on Sandy's mind. It's on her heart. It came out of a prayer that she was arrow shooting to God in the line. Why? Because that's who she is. So I'm thinking like, wow, Sandy's, you know, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts this week. I needed to hear her say that. I need to be in church. Why? Because I need you. I do. I need you. And and, And you need all of us. We need each other. But see... Worship wars are we wars. Not me wars. Worship wars are we wars. We fight together. So you know what? I need to get together. Because if you had a chance to pray tonight, you could have said, hey, you know what? I'm, there's some things in my life I need to get really a handle on. That's maybe all I need to say. And someone said, pray for me. I will. I had cards I read this week. Someone said, pray for this. Pray for this. I'm struggling. Give me that. Pray for, right? I, I heard those. I, I read those. But we have a chance to get together with a little transparency and say, Father, we're fighting this together and we need each other to do that. Remember I said it's a community project, community, large community group. Now watch, here's the one we always think of. And the small community group, because here's what Joshua says, ready? You all need to worship God and fight idols. 
and make him the only God you serve. Ready? Here's the verse we all know. I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What do you say? We will. See, there's a big we and there's a little we. So we have group gatherings like this. And then Joshua says, but you know where the front lines of idolatry is fought? In your family and home. See, you live with your spouse 24-7 and with your kids. I don't. I can preach to them. I get a chance to influence a little bit. The truth is, you're the main person. So if your kids are going to learn to fight idolatry, they may get some principles and points here. You know, where they're gonna, you know why? Because there's a small community group in your home that should be built to help your family fight idolatry. And here's what Joshua says, and I'm going to lead the way because I'm the dad. And at Faith Baptist Church, we need men and dads, leaders in our church, who are going to say, hey, we're fighting idolatry, and it starts in my home. Right? The idolatry, and see, this is not happening in my house, and this is not going to happen, but this is. And we're going to love him and serve him and be faithful to him because this big group is made up of all these little small community groups called families. And he says, for mine, I don't know where everybody else stands. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I was in my office thinking about, hey, maybe we should start a ministry called Families Against Idolatrous Living. But then the acronym would be FAIL, F-A-I-L. I go, that will not work. But I do believe in small groups. I believe in discipleship groups. And we have, I have a discipleship group. I had one for a year. I had three guys in it. And every time we call, you know what I tell them? I ask them hard questions. And I tell you up front, if you ever get asked to be in a D group, they'll tell you everything you're going to have to answer to and all the requirements. Not easy, right? But I'll ask them questions. Did you read your Bible? Did you pray? What have you been looking at? What are you struggling with? Did you talk to anyone about Jesus this week at all? Did you try? Did you even pray about it? What are you doing in your marriage? How's it going with you and your wife? Why is it like that? Have you been typed? Have you discipled your children? Why do we do that? You know why? Because we need each other. And in a small group, very small, we keep each other accountable. You know why? Because idolatry is a fight that never stops. And listen, it's a community project. That's why I tell my Sunday school class, who's in this big section right here, Here's what I tell them. Get out of my class. I have 35 to 40 people in here in this big group, and I love every one of them. I love teaching them, but I would love to see them in a small group. So I want to tell them, get out of my class, and you get into a group of about 10 or 15 instead. Because you're going to get a lot better accountability, because we can't do any of that when there's 35 to 40 people in here. So, two, two weapons so far. Last one. First weapon to fighting idolatry is... It's a continual problem. Number two, it's a community project. And number three, it is a conscious preference. A conscious preference. Let me show you what I mean. The word serve, which we think of doing something for someone, not really what it means as much. It's used 12 times in this chapter, 15 times in the pre- between 23 and 24, and not any time other than this book. Because the emphasis and the concentration of this term is the last part of Joshua's life. And what he's going to tell them is the number one thing that you need to devote yourself to is worshiping God. Serve equals worship. 
Who are you going to put? Who's your person you're worshiping? So the challenge that he leaves them with in his mind, the most important issue he could grapple, have them grapple with is this. Ready? Verse 14. Fear the Lord and worship him. This is the positive side of it. Fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and faithfulness. See, this is the put off, I'm sorry, the put on of the New Testament. Put on this, put off this. Ready? This is put on. Fear the Lord, serve him, worship him only. Sincerity means in your heart, you're faithful to him, dedicated to him. He's above all else in your life. And then he says this. Here's the negative. Put put away the gods your father served. And he says, ready? Here's the conscious preference. And if it, verse 15, is evil in your eyes to worship the Lord, circle it. Choose then. Choose you this day. And down in verse 22, can I read it to you? Joshua said to the people, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord. I'm not forcing you. I'm not manipulating you. You need to make a choice, a conscious preference. We have conscious preference. I choose Android over iPhone. I don't know why, but I choose the Lions over other teams in football. I choose this kind of food over that kind of food. How many of you would rather, how many like winter over summer? Huh. Should take some stock in that right there. Okay, not many, but there are some, right? I choose summer and warm weather over all those things. I like, how many say Coke or Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Pepsi. Christians, Mountain Dew. All right. You know what? We have, you know what conscious preference means? I have two things I'm choosing from, and I definitely choose this one, not that one. And in the text, he says, watch, serve the Lord if you forsake him for other gods. See the choice? It's like on a weigh scale. See, you got God, and you have gods. He says, I want you to see them. I love this. Please listen. I'm going to quote it for you. Hebrews 11 says that Moses, by faith, he said, he, the Bible says, when he became of age, did not want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter anymore. And here's what he says. And he forsook the treasures of Egypt that he might be, what? Persecuted, basically, with the people of God. Now watch. How in the world would treasures in Egypt persecution in the wilderness with the people of God. Now, to average person, that's a no-brainer. Palace, luxury, having it good. Israel, desert, they want to try to kill me constantly, and I'm living in a tent. Huh, hmm, I don't know. But he chooses Israel and the persecution in the tent. How in the world does he do that? He's making a conscious preference for God. And the whole chapter is about what? Faith. How did Megan and Yosef choose Romania over New Jersey? Well, that's probably not good. I'll just say America. <laughs> How did Melissa and Juan choose to leave family and friends and people they love an easier life to go to? Why? A conscious preference for God. They don't have America and the American dream as the idol of their lives. They put those things away, and they put on Christ. Now, let me tell you, watch. 
I'm done. The, that's the external part. And it's not just trading off this and trading off that and the situation and circumstances that go with that. That's hard, but it won't last. And why people come back from the field so early. You know why? Look what the verse says. Verse 23. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Ready? And incline your heart to the Lord. The word incline your heart is used twice. Psalm 119, verse 36. Psalm 119, verse 112. Incline my heart, O God, to your testimonies. Incline my heart to your statutes, O God. In other words, God, move my heart, extend it, make me stretch toward you and your word and not be pushed toward these gods. That's the incline, means to be stretched, to be pushed, to lean towards something. And he says, here, you see, here, why do you have to pray that? Because that's not what we are. Do you realize that the fight to make my God everything, it's not a problem with him, it's a problem with me. And so we pray when we get on our knees and it's time to read the Bible, God, incline my heart to this, to these, why? Because you know what my heart's really inclined to? Sleeping in and not getting up and having it easy and doing this and having entertainment. I'd rather watch TV than read that book and make that, I don't want to do that again. But God, incline my heart. So this isn't just an external change that you can staple on. This is God saying at the innermost core of my being, change me. Give me a passion and a desire for you. You know why? Because they're not really gods. You are. Story ends. The last three, 29 through 33, is a story about three guys who die. Joseph dies in Egypt. Joshua dies in Israel. And so does Eleazar. Why in the world end it that way? Well, it's a nice ending to tell you what happened to those guys. But you know what I think they all are? At least one of the things. They all are guys who live their whole lives. One in Egypt, two in Israel. And they were guys who fought idolatry and won. And they made it to the end and they kept faithful to their God. They feared him and they put away the gods. And they got their inheritance and God gave them everything he promised them. And they were true to him. And so he would say, Israel, that can happen to you. And I love this part as a pastor. You know how it ends? And they served God only all the way through Joshua's death. And the elders that were with Joshua and all the leaders that were knew, knew Joshua, they stayed faithful to him. I love that. Pastor Martins was here. He'd say, I, I hope you serve God past me, past Pastor Walker, and then the next generation. You know why? Because it's, it's always going to be a fight. You don't believe me? Read Judges, which, by the way, happens right after Joshua. And all they do is commit idolatry. It's a fight, folks. It's a fight to get people to come to church to put God first. It's a fight for them to get involved. And it's a fight for your children and your marriage and your soul and your heart. And we've got to fight it every day. Let's pray. Father, help us. We are surrounded by idolatry. It's on the televisions, on billboards, magazines, TV, internet. People talk about it, live it. It's at the mall, it's at the school, it's everywhere. False gods, nothing gods. And we have an opportunity in that kind of culture to be different, countercultural, and show them that there is one true God, and it changes everything. You are God, and you alone. And tonight, we didn't write it in stone, but maybe written in our hearts, that we worship only you.
Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.